And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where the NBA season has started. I'm mainlining games. My back is a little sore, but I'm soldiering through, keeping on, keeping on. And to help us digest everything that's happened in the first 72 hours of the NBA season, games, 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 from Sports Illustrated, one of my favorite guests, the author of Blood in the Garden, Blood in the Garden, about the 90s Knicks, a book that you have to buy now on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Chris Herring, how are you? I'm good, Zach. How are you? Oh, I'm just high on life. High on life. Just getting, getting, I got a coffee, watching a lot of games. Let's go through what we've seen so far. And I thought a fun way to do it would be through the lens of, of some of your preseason predictions, okay? And I want to know how flimsy these predictions are, how, how much you have already flip-flopped after two games or one game. So let's start with your NBA Finals prediction. Are you ready? Sure. Chris Herring, you predicted the most NBA nerd finals possible, I think, the Milwaukee Bucks against the Utah Jazz. Now, the Jazz are 1-0, defeating the Oklahoma City. And by the way, Oklahoma City, it's just unwatchable. I, I know that you – oh, Poku. Poku's fun to watch. Like Josh Kidd. They're playing these lineups where Kenrich Williams is a shooting guard and they have like 15 big guys on the – it's so bad. It's so bad. I can't wait for Shea Gilgis Alexander to sprain his ankle with 25 games left if they've won too many games. I can't – anyway, so the Jazz beat Oklahoma City as everybody is going to by a lot of points. Uh, the Bucks beat the Nets, and then the Bucks B team got shellacked by the Miami Heat, who are a kind of popular, like, Cinderella finals pick. Mr. Herring, are you wavering already, or are you steadfast in Bucks jazz? No, no, I would have wavered if the Jazz had lost to Oklahoma City or even played a, a semi-competitive game with them. Um, I, I get where you're getting at with uh, the Bucks. I, I'm Look, they played terribly yesterday. I, I, I tweeted about it. Because I tuned in late and I said, "Why is the score already twenty-two to three? Well, the the Thanasis Mamu front line is not going to get it done <laughs> against the Heat. The Heat, by the Might way, not. had it. The Heat had a first day of school energy in that game, just like flying mm-hmm. around. Jimmy Butler was like trying to crisscross the entire court for steals. Kyle Lowry's pushing the pace like they were shot out of a cannon. But anyway, yes, you should not be dissuaded by the failure of the Thanasis Mamu front line." Right. They they were missing, what, five guys from their rotation, if not four. Uh, you know, and I think that, that they played a good opening night game as well. I mean, they beat a Nets team that hit 17 threes and shot 50 percent from three. Granted, without Kyrie. But, you know, I, I think they it's always that that first game can always be a little bit of a trap when you're getting a ring. So I I was more interested in that. I think it's hard to really make anything of a team that is missing five guys from their rotation. It's not that big a deal to me. And, and like you said, I did feel like I sensed that same thing with Miami too, where they, they just looked amped up and Miami's going to be good this year. And I think they'll be, they'll be solid. So I don't make too much of that. You know, I, if you're backing away from your picks on as of game one, which I think there might've been a team or two where it might've been okay to back away a little bit. I, I wonder how some of the people that are like gung ho and think the Lakers are just a shoe in to get there, which I I would never think that about the addition that they made to their roster. But you know, certain games, certain teams where I'm like, I think you might have felt a need to back away, but I don't feel that need yet. Um, what did you see in Bucks Nets that interested you? Like, I look, I picked the Nets to win the championship, and I I said that with Kyrie, I think they're pretty clearly favorites. Um, obviously, there is no with Kyrie right now. Um, I'm I'm already panicking about the Nets. I'm already panicking, Chris, about the Nets. Um. I'm just kidding, but they did not look great in the first game. Defensively, they were just eh, and they were like sneaky, not great defensively once Harden came back from injury in the playoffs. And I, my big worry about the Nets was they leaned too big, that all of their sort of fun, um, oh, they got this guy at the minimum, this guy's back at the They're all big guys, and they leaned too big, and that manifested yes. itself in the first game. I'm not worried, though, but what did you see in that game that just sort of interested you I mean, I don't think it's too early to look ahead to a Nets-Bucks conference finals, to be honest with you. I'm not counting anyone else out. The Hawks looked incredible last night in demolishing Oof. Dallas. But thinking about this matchup is, is fun regardless of how you think the season is going gonna, is gonna to unfold. What did you see in that game? No, I think it's actually kind of what you were getting at before, where um, the idea of playing 
Claxton and Griffin together, certainly you can do it. I don't know that you have to. Um, is that they're they're big and then you've got Aldridge. So maybe you do have to just to get everybody on the floor if that's your thought. But then again, you know, go back this time last year, they were also playing DeAndre Jordan at a time where a lot of us were like, is that necessary? Is it best to do that, to have to do that? And obviously current, current starting center for the Los Angeles Lakers, by the way, just just FYI on that one. We'll get back to the Lakers, but that's please. I hope we get back to them because goodness, we need to. But that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that there are times where. I think the signals get crossed a little bit sometimes, and I think you would simplify some of it by having a smaller group that can kind of fly around defensively instead of having guys that, you know, Griffin, for instance, can just be your five. Uh, you know, you, you, you could plug him back there. Um, Claxton, obviously, if he's out there with Griffin, you know, I just think the signals can get crossed more easily if you've got them playing together as opposed to just having one guy anchor that back line and having a smaller group. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think that's part of it. Their defense, you feel maybe a little bit better about it. They have picked up some nice guys for the minimum, but you raise a good point that most of those guys have been big guys. And uh, so I don't know. I, I, I was obviously very impressed with, uh, with Patty Mills. I, I didn't expect him to disappoint necessarily, but I also did not expect him to go seven for seven or whatever it was from three. Um, so I don't know. It, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, they're, they're a team that's really top heavy. I don't know if you want to make it more top heavy and change necessarily who your starters are, or to plug Mills into that group, which you could do that if you wanted to without Kyrie there. I don't think you need to. But um, but I do. Think I you can I, I thought they might start. Bru- I thought they might start Bruce Brown in that Kyrie spot to try to find defense and just like you know his. We all saw what Bruce Brown did as he invented a position. Um, Bruce Brown didn't get in the game until garbage time, which surprised me a little bit. It's interesting, uh, right? Uh, and Javon Carter played a lot. I like Javon Carter, but you're just without Kyrie, you're depending on these perimeter guys who I just I, they all have holes in their game. They make me miss Jeff Green. I never thought I would miss Jeff Green in, in my life, but he's <laughs> he's really doing well. He played a great opening game for Denver. Um, I don't, the Nets will be fine. The Nets are still my chance. I can't back off. I can, I'm not just going to back off after one game. They're going to be fine. Everything's fine. But it would be nice if Kyrie would, you know, participate in the endeavor of basketball. But that's a whole separate um, bottle of wax. I will say the Bucks. everything I said about the Bucks in the offseason, about how I think winning was just going to imbue them with an emboldened confidence and force. I really thought that manifested in the first game. They played with incredible downhill force and confidence in that opening game. And it was almost jarring the contrast between them and the Nets, who have a little bit of a softness on defense that I think they're going to have to overcome. Maybe the Bucks were just, like, fierce and forceful. Like, You know what I mean? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, a lot of that you could imagine would come from just Giannis, too, where um... – it, it, it's so interesting too because he's kind of gone back and forth on this. I know you don't you don't want to hold someone to what they say in the very moment right after they win a title, but he was saying if I never do anything more than this, I you know I'm content. You can't take this from us, which is true. But also you know it didn't take very long for him to start saying I want more and I'm hungry. But also you know it's just kind of the way he's wired, and so you knew that he was going to come back really confident. And I feel like this group should be doing that. Um, even if it, even if they win fewer games this year, which they don't strike me as a team that is going to um, take their foot off the pedal too much, I think it'll probably just be more because Drew and Chris Middleton had long summers after the finals run. They were in the Olympics. Um, so they could win fewer games this year, but I, I think that confidence is there regardless. And they do – it is interesting. They lost P.J. Tucker, but this is a team that has a physicality and a roughness to it, I think. that um, That is something that I think sometimes those teams that are newer, that are kind of super teams, because they're built around guys that by nature, you don't want them, you know, doing American gladiator type stuff because they're max guys that they can have a softness to them. So it is interesting to think about that in in relation to Brooklyn. I loved American gladiators, by the way, what was your favorite American gladiators (laughs) event? I didn't watch it. I don't actually know anything about it. I just figured it would be a nice buzzword to throw on your podcast. (laughs) You never have seen American gladiators. I don't think I have. Oh my God. I think it was also a little bit before my time, though. Yes. For the older people in my audience, my favorite American Gladiators event for all the older people was when they had to shoot tennis balls at a target very far away while Gladiators were shooting tennis balls at them and they had to hide behind stuff. That was my favorite one. Anyway, this I can't – I'm so – I don't feel so old. On NBA Today the other day, we had a moment 
where Cheney was talking about Carmelo Anthony making the top 75 list. And I had Carmelo on my ballot. I know there was some controversy whether he deserved I just don't think you can be in the top 10 all-time in scoring and not be on the ballot. I have yeah. my qualms about yeah. Carmelo Anthony. Holy cow, does George Carl have some qualms about Carmelo Anthony, but he belongs. <laughs> anyway, Cheney said to Malika, you know, members of the younger generation, like me and you, Malika, and I'm sitting right there like, wow. that's cold. I know I'm an old man, but that's a little, that's a little cold. No, you're not. Um, no, you're not. I don't even know. Oh, what? so so the one thing I will be watching every time um, the Bucks play the Nets is who guards Durant. And and their answer in the first game was mostly Chris, was mostly Chris Middleton. I just – Middleton did okay. I just don't think that's a tenable matchup. In the play, I mean, it's tenable because anything's tenable, and Chris competes. But that the height he's giving up, and and the ease with which KD can just shoot over him, I just don't. I I feel like that's not the answer. But maybe that's the only answer they have. This will come across as a seemingly silly question, but I think it's a smart one because they did it last year. Do you feel like they're capable of getting someone at the at the trade deadline who can do it? I mean, that's how they kind of survived last year. Uh, or to some extent, Durant obviously torched them last year as well, but they did have someone to take up those minutes to try to do it. I can't think about the trade deadline yet. It's it's too soon to think about the trade deadline. My brain is just wrapping around that I've got to watch all these games again. Um, I will say they do have an interesting answer in Giannis that for understandable reasons they're not super psyched to use. They used Giannis on Jimmy Butler, and he just completely enveloped him like some sort of Venus flytrap um, in, in the playoffs. But – you know, KD's KD's a different beast. I just, I just think that's. I guess they play three more times. I'm I'm going to be either two or three more times. I haven't checked the schedule. I, I'm going to be watching that matchup every game they play. Yeah, and I think honestly, whenever you get teams like Brooklyn, where you've got so many guys that are in there, you know, who knows how Aldridge does, and or you know whether Aldridge makes it through the season just as well um, with with his issues and stuff like that. I feel like when you've got teams with three max guys, they go through a whole lot of metamorphosis over the course of the season anyway, where they're going to they're gonna change. And so I could see it being between that or Harden's health or KD's health, the idea that the matchups are going to look totally different um, from one to the, the other, and even with the Miami matchup. So Miami just won that in a, you know, in a blowout against Milwaukee, but Milwaukee wasn't playing half their rotation. And so I wonder what all you're going to be able to take from some of that, uh, from some of those matchups. What do you think of the Heat game one? I was very curious to see how this team looked, what rotations they played. Um, I, I like them. I mean, I, I really like them as a playoff team. I'm a little worried about their depth in, in the regular season. And, and that, I, I mean, they killed the Bucks last night, so who cares about their depth <laughs> last night? Right. But what did you, what struck you about them in, in their first game with Kyle Lowry and, and PJ Tucker? couple things. Uh, Lowry, I think, made one shot. Obviously, didn't need a whole lot of his offense last night. Uh, I, I feel like he's someone that will add to them. And he's always been like that. He doesn't necessarily have to score. Uh, you need him to score some, and you need him to score in certain moments, but you don't always need him to score. Um, Tyler Hero looked incredible last night. Um, you know, he had a, a really rough year two. If this is a bounce back year three from him that, you know, even exceeds his rookie year, which you would hope it does. You know, maybe their ceiling is a little bit higher than what some people would think it is. Uh, Max Struess uh, looks like a player, or at least did yesterday. Um, I guess everybody kind of did I yesterday. like Max Struess. When I, when I wrote about the Heat um, in my season previews, I, I, met, I, I mentioned my concerns about their depth, and they're going to rely on a lot of unknown guys. And I think I wrote at some point, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by Max Struess. He can shoot. He works hard. He had that incredible chase down block at the end of yeah. the first half last that night. Play was incredible. By the way, Tyler Hero... Last season, 15 a game on 44% shooting, 36% from three, 50% from two. People talk about him like he averaged six points a game and shot 28% from three last year. I think the bubble set expectations so high. Yeah. It, he was, like, just okay. Like He wasn't, like, bad last year. And I, it, they used him as backup point guard last night. Gabe Vincent didn't play until I don't even know if he played the fourth quarter when it was a 50-point game or whatever. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting, but I think they're going to be. Fun. I think I'm, I like my. I think they're going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I I, I think you might be right. I, I wonder if there's anyone that kind of goes through more overrating and underrating than Tyler Hero. I think the Lakers guys tend to have that happening. Kuzma was talked about in a way that was kind of not requisite with the where third he was star, at. the third yeah. Lakers superstar, the big three. Oh God! So I, I mean, and it didn't help last night that the the our, our friends at Inside the NBA last night were saying that. Uh, 
essentially that he <laughs> that Tyler Hero was on the same plane with um with Trey Young and Luka Doncic. Like that doesn't help. I don't know who thinks that other than those guys. Well, Ty, didn't Tyler Hero say that about himself? I think Tyler okay, Hero. Okay, I, I would better understand it if it goes for Tyler Hero than other people not named Tyler Hero. I mean, it's very clear he's not on that level. Nobody really is from that group, and it's fine to say that and fine to acknowledge that. But, I mean, he, he's somewhere in between that and not very close to that and what we saw in the bubble, or actually not even that. I mean, it's probably not even that. Uh, much of a difference maker, but he can be, and it, he'll have moments where he flashes that sort of skill. But you know, he's he's a good player. He's a, a good young player that's still growing. And if he does grow, and you would hope that Bam takes another step or another half step, even all these things, if you get just enough from everybody, and you have Butler there to kind of close things out, uh, they become a very, very, very interesting team. But it's it's early, so we'll see. I just love the collective motion and IQ in the foursome of Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Bam, and Butler. There's just so much smarts and cutting and, like, bob and weave. They never stop moving. They all can make plays. Like, they improvise these gorgeous little give-and-go sequences. P.J. Tucker just stands in the corner the whole time. That's fine. That's what P.J. Tucker's going to do. But those four, they make... They make lemonade out of lemons. Like it doesn't. It, it doesn't look like their spacing's great or whatever, and they just start moving around. And all of a sudden, there's cracks open and fissures open, and Bam is threading the bounce pass to Duncan Robinson, and Jimmy Butler's hitting someone. It, it looks. It looks nice. I. I, do, I still think they're a tier below the Bucks and the Nets, but I know that if they if they can find one more buyout guy, or something, and Tyler Hero hits. P.J. Tucker has a little bit more left in the tank than we think. One of these bench guys, like Struess hits, I, no one is going to be excited to play them in the oh, playoffs. Sure. Like, if they're healthy, I don't even care what their seed is, really, as long as it's not seven or eight. Um, no one's, no one's going to want to play them in the playoffs. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Let's talk about the West, where you picked the Utah Jazz. Who did you? Who did you? Who was like your next pick? Did you feel great about picking the Jazz or did you feel crappy about picking the Jazz? No, I didn't feel great about it because, I mean, we, we've seen the way that they've been kind of pushed aside in the playoffs. I mean, we, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit at this point. Like, I, I thought that they did decent things or at least made a really, really honest effort to kind of clean up or at least make themselves less vulnerable in a situation where they're getting torched from the outside. Yeah, your your selection, your one of your predictions was Rudy Gay for six man of the year. You I don't are, feel great about that. You one. are higher that. on Rudy Gay and his impact on the Utah Jazz than members of Rudy Gay's family. I, I admire <laughs> the cojones to use Tim McMahon's terminology of that pick. If 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 Rudy Gay wins, I'll actually go further. If Rudy Gay is on the six man of the year ballot, if he finishes first, second, or third. I will Venmo you. I will get you. What do you want? Do you want like a your, your like a hundred dollars? Wait, wait, this is turning insert? into money. I'm, I'm about to get really big on the Rudy Gay train in a minute. If do you're you offering me money, if you win, do, do you want a hundred dollar coupon to your favorite Chicago oh, deep dish pizza joint? I thought this was gonna be more money than that. I'm sad. Do you want now. me to wear Michigan gear all around my house or something? Even though I kind of like Michigan, that's not really a punishment. What What would you like, Rudy? If Rudy, he, all he's gotta do is finish third, Chris. That's all he's gotta do. You can get, name the stakes. So I will say this. You, you started this by asking me how flimsy were my picks for the finals. Those aren't flimsy. This one's flimsy as hell because I was mostly using that pick as a way to get into the idea that 
his impact could be massive. And that happens where, I mean, look at the same team. Look at the two guys on his team that will probably finish higher in six-man voting than he will. Uh, that's kind of my point is that Ingles can have a greater impact uh, than somebody like Jordan Clarkson can. Uh, and I think that was my way of saying Rudy Gay could be a difference maker for them in terms of winning a title or not, despite the fact he's not going to win six man. And I know that, but I felt but like you it'd picked be, it, it, it. No, you can't. You picked it. But it was an interesting way to get into that conversation that otherwise wasn't going to be there. I, I but I, I, I hear what you're saying. Your point's well taken. This is my way to fight back against the man you know that needs the clicks. By the way, a good punishment for me if you if he comes in one two three. So you wrote this great book about the Knicks that we'll podcast about eventually. It's a, it's amazing. I'm finished with it, by the way. It's incredible. Thank you um, so much, buddy. My least favorite player growing up was John Starks. Oh, it, really? I didn't know if, that. If you – I just it really – it was visceral. It had nothing to do with John Starks as a human being. It had nothing to do with his backstory, which is inspirational and all that stuff. I just <laughs> didn't like John Starks. I'll buy a John Starks jersey if, if Rudy Gay finishes one to three. That this sounds hilarious. Fair. I didn't know that you had these strong feelings about John Stark. I understand Bulls fans feeling that. Uh, I didn't know it would run deep for you. That's funny. I was a non-Knicks fan surrounded by Knicks fans at their absolute apex of awesomeness. And yeah. I just they, – they all adored John Starks because – for obvious reasons. And just to be a – it just made me hate John Starks. It's not fair. And I don't hate – I use facetiously. I don't hate John. Now I see him at games. I'm like, oh, there's John Starks. Look at him hobnobbing. Nice guy. Um, so who was your second pick then? Who, do, who did you like pick the Jazz over? You know, that's a good question. I, I, I can't find it in my heart to say that I feel that the Lakers should be right behind that. I know that's everybody else's pick, but I – just didn't like what they did during the offseason. I felt like their depth was one of their big strengths um, and that you could kind of live. I mean, you're probably going to need AD and LeBron to be healthy anyway if you're going to win a title. So bringing in a third star, like let's say AD goes down, I don't feel any better about the Lakers' chances of winning a title because Russ is there. Uh, I would rather have the depth there and you try to make it work with LeBron, quite frankly. Uh, so I'm, I wouldn't pick them. I'm trying to think who would I take. I mean, I will say this, and you and I had the last podcast where we disagreed on this team. I still don't think I'm quite at this level with them yet, but I will say the Warriors are interesting if Clay comes back and he looks the part and he's right. So I, that would not be my pick. I'll say this because my Sports Illustrated colleagues all picked this. I think half of us picked the Nuggets to make the finals, which I was like stunned by. I didn't pick them. I picked the Jazz. But I watched the Nuggets and – you know a guy I forgot about? You mentioned Jeff Green before, but another guy I forgot about for the Nuggets who was a big difference maker for them, particularly with Jamal Murray out, is Will Barton. And he looked great uh, in the first game. And I, I feel like the reason I forgot him, he's just been out of the rotation so much because of all his injuries. Last few years missed the bubble. Um, but as a guy that, like he did in their first game, go out and get you 26-5 and five, or 25-6. and six. I don't know if you'd count the rebounds or the assists first. Uh He's a guy that, you know, can be hit or miss. I imagine could be very hit or miss with the rust that he might have from not having played serious basketball in a while. But, man, he's a he's a good player when he's on. And he gives you some of what you're missing. It's not Jamal Murray. Nobody really is. Um, but he gives you some of what you're missing. Certainly more than Michael Porter, who I think casual fans see Porter and how much he scores and thinks that he can replace Jamal Murray without realizing that like he's not the creator that Jamal Murray is. He did have five or six assists in their opener, which is encouraging, and I and I like that he's going to get to stretch himself a little bit with the ball without Jamal Murray. Look, here's my take on the West. I have no earthly idea who's going to win the West. I will take the field over everyone. I will take the field over the Lakers without even thinking about it. We're going to talk about the Lakers in a second. They looked absolutely – they didn't look that bad. They didn't look good in their first game. Russ looked Russ looked awful. Um, I would take the field over everybody, but I will say this. If you told me right now you will have 90% of Jamal Murray, maybe 85%, and 85% of Kawhi Leonard, the Nuggets and the Clippers are the two best teams in the West. I feel very strongly about that. I don't. I think they're better than the Lakers, better than the Jazz, better than all these other teams. If, if, if. The problem is you just don't know when, well, in Kawhi's case, if he's coming back at all this year, and in Jamal Murray's case – what he's going to look like in when it really matters. I look. I said it before. I was going to pick a, a Nets Nuggets finals before Jamal Murray got hurt. I I might have just for kind of shits and giggles picked the Nuggets to win that series. I I, I think once they got Aaron Gordon, 
they looked incredible. And I will never, ever forget they had a game against the Clippers in L.A. It was like Aaron Gordon's sixth game. Clippers played everybody. And the Nuggets just wire-to-wire beat down. Aaron Gordon really guarded Kawhi well. And it was a, it, it looked like a statement game of, oh, you thought, the, you thought the bubble was like a fluke. And, you know, oh, you changed your coach and got some of your cranky bench guys out. And you're all loaded. Like, we're, we're, just, we're just better than you. We just think we're better than you. So I, I, I love the Nuggets. I think the Clippers are awesome if they're healthy. But neither of those teams are healthy. So I, I have no earthly idea who's going to win the West. Yeah. Utah, the West is like that right now. It's Utah should get the number one seed just based on continuity. I've talked a lot about the potential turmoil in Utah, and that makes me nervous. Like They've made a ton of changes at the executive level, the health and science level. New ownership is incredibly involved there for better or worse. And every time I start to hear that stuff, I get a little nervous. But you know what? The Bucks are an interesting counterexample to that because they entered the playoffs – with the whole Mike Budenholzer thing hanging over them. Everybody yeah, knew that that Bud was going to be in major trouble and probably fired if they didn't do well in the playoffs. Um, his, his standing there has gone up and down, and, I, and that, that made me worried about the Bucks Because like, to win the title, you just need everyone zeroed in on the same thing all the time. No distractions, no dissension, no anything. And the Bucks were able to to win it despite all that and come together. So that gives me hope for Utah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, and I hadn't even really thought about that stuff kind of swirling over them, around them, what have you. Uh, they're a good basketball team. That, like you said, for me, and that was probably why I picked the Bucks and the Jazz specifically. The the continuity was there in a year where you've got the Nets with whatever they're dealing with, the Sixers with whatever they're dealing with. You know, Miami is new, you know, to, to some extent in terms of Lowry, at least, I guess. Um, and then you've got the West, and it's like, okay, well, are the Warriors going to get Clay back? Are the Nuggets going to get Murray back? Are the Clippers going to get Kawhi back? And the Lakers did whatever they did this offseason. So it's all these teams that are kind of in some state of flux. And then you've got the Jazz and the, the Bucks that more or less kind of stayed the same. And in the Bucks' case, you know, at some point we'll get DiVincenzo. And, you know, so it's... I, I kind of just like the fact that their continuity is a good thing when you're a first place team. It doesn't mean you don't need more. And the Jazz did add to what they had as far as small ball centers and stuff like that with Pascal and Rudy Gay. My six likely likely six man of the year, Rudy Gay. Odds <laughs> right. on favorite, Rudy Gay. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Lakers and the Warriors who faced off on opening night. I was at that game. Um, I think. The, look, Russ was terrible. If you drew up, if you drew up a what is the worst possible game for Russell Westbrook to play alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it would have looked exactly like the season opening game. He was either turning the ball over, just running into people, or just standing around either above the wing or in the corner while LeBron had the ball. And everybody wrote this when this happened. Your nightmare scenario for the Lakers is that LeBron has the ball, whether AD's at center or AD's at the four, I think AD's going to have to play more five. He played a decent amount of five in the first game, actually. If Russ is just standing around 70% of half-court possessions, the Lakers are not getting out of the West. It's over. It's decided. Nobody will guard him. Their offense will get screwed up. He will contribute not very much. And that's what happened in the first game. Now, did he have a, a one drive, one where they sloughed away from him on the wing. LeBron hit him, and he sliced through that diagonal gap and then missed a layup or the, lost the ball on the way up. Yeah, he had one. One. You know how many ball screens he set in the first game, Chris Herring? Take a guess. Zero. You just held up your zero. Like, I just don't understand. I just don't understand how it's possible to go through a training camp and a preseason game, the preseason games where they've lost every game, and start the season – Knowing everything that we do, like idiots like me know it. And yes. Russell Westbrook doesn't accidentally set one ball screen for a guy who's destroyed the entire league running 3-1 inverted pick and rolls for 20 freaking years. Not one. Now, Chris, let's calm down. Let's <laughs> calm down. The Lakers shot 9 of 19 from the foul line. Anthony Davis was 2 of 7. They make four more free throws. The whole discussion is different. Taylor Horton Tucker, hurt. Trevor Reza hurt, Wayne Ellington hurt, Kendrick Nunn, who I think could be a very big part of their team, hurt. Anthony Davis, awesome. LeBron James, awesome. Russell Westbrook will be better. I think 
the Lakers are playing Phoenix in like seven, ten hours. I don't know. They'll probably win and be, everything will be fine. So I'm not going to overreact to that loss. But that Russ, that Russ, the Lakers are not getting out of the West with that Russ. That Russ, that Russ, and I said this at the time of the trade, ultimately I don't think there's that much difference between Russ and Buddy Heald <clears throat> and keeping KCP and keeping Schroeder because LeBron and AD are everything. But all things considered, I'd rather have gone the Buddy Heald, keeping KCP, keeping Schroeder a little bit because the fit is just so much cleaner. That, Russ, they're not getting out of the, out of the West with that. You shoot yourself out of a series with that. And, um, and we've seen that happen before. But, I mean, it goes back. We've, we've had this conversation before. Third stars, you think about how much attention the first two attract. AD, LeBron the sort of way that they can play off of each other is two stars together. You want your third star in a lot of cases, if it's a, you know, you've got Steph and KD and you're blessed to have those two, you've got clay because it's someone that makes you pay when they're away from the ball, when they're not involved in the play scrambles the defense when you get the ball to them because they can't leave that person open. Ray Allen, Chris Bosh, who, when you look at statistically just at the numbers, it was a different time in the NBA at the time, but you know, Chris Bosh was not a knockdown three-point shooter. Uh, you know, he's more of a mid-range guy that could really hurt you with the elbows. But guys that can hurt you with the threat of a jump shot, Russ can't do that. Russ, that's the default defensive position you want to take with Russ is that you dare him to shoot. The backboard, so, the backboard is threatened by his jump shot. The backboard is like ah, ah. <laughs> you said that, not me. It's not that it's wrong, but damn. Uh, so, I, I mean. I part of the reason I went in on the Russ trade and then I kind of stopped as far as like I did write one piece on it basically saying I, I don't know about this but then I stopped because I'm like okay it's beating a dead horse but also I trust that most of the people in the NBA that are running their teams doing their stuff it's kind of what you said that they're smarter than I am because you and I know this like we know that Russ does not fit there as constructed as we know Russ's game to be so I'm thinking man you're going to spend the whole offseason really trying to kind of work with Russ and kind of talk him through what you absolutely have to have out of him. You have to. And granted, like you said, injuries that they had, poor performance at the line, first game with a relatively new team while playing against a team that, you know, some new pieces, but these are mostly guys that are, have been there in, in the Warriors rotation. But it was just exactly kind of what I worried about what I expected when you got Russ that you know he's not moving much off the ball. He's not really going to cut and slash. He's not going to set any screens. That That's the nightmare he's scenario not gonna for help, this team. He's not going to help your defense. He's not going to help your defense much. And my thought, if you do see more of this, and I just said this on my own podcast on Open Floor at Sports Illustrated, at some point, and they won't do it because it's, there's too many egos involved, and I don't imagine that Frank Vogel wants to have this conversation, Russ would be better off their bench. It's just the truth so, because you wouldn't you wouldn't be pulling the ball out of LeBron's hands and have him just standing there and run a less efficient version of whatever you would have run with LeBron and you don't have Russ just standing there not being a threat to anybody other than the backboard like that would be the better play and then you sprinkle Russ into those rotations with AD and LeBron then later at times but you let him run the show when you don't have a creator of his capability in the second unit like that would be the answer it's too early to really introduce it you know, loudly, full-throatedly, but I said throatedly. I don't even know if that's a word. But I, I don't know if you can do it this soon. Obviously, you wouldn't do it this soon. They'll win, and then it won't be an issue. But if he's going to put up performances like that where he's not moving, that would be more useful to what they're doing. It, it probably would be more useful anyway. Even if they're successful, somewhat successful with this, playing him with your second unit frees Russ to be more what he is and what he wants to do. I don't know why I gave the backboard a high-pitched screaming voice. I think the backboard is is a baritone, like, ooh, here comes ooh. Anyway. Um, I said all that. That was You were responding to your own soliloquy about no, that. Russ, I love it. So, so Russ <laughs> off the bench. I think I had Stephen A. Smith on my pod before I went on vacation. He talked about how Russ is a way worse shooter than LeBron. Should the Lakers put the ball in Russ's hands a little bit more when they're together? And someone actually at the game, I don't know if it was a coach, somebody brought that up, and I'm, I'm like – you look at each other like, are we, are we being are we being serious here? Like, this is LeBron James. You don't the, like I. You don't take the ball out of LeBron James' hand to accommodate anybody. The guy's the greatest ball handler. That's why in you don't make the, the trade. Um, the Russ off the bench thing. Obviously, that picked up momentum. I think the the TNT guys mentioned it after the game. I would pay a non-trivial sum of money 
to be in the room when Frank Vogel and Rob Palinka sit with Russ and try to sell him on coming off the bench. I would. I don't know how much I would pay. I would pay. I also would wear a football helmet into the room in case stray objects were tossed off of whatever desk they were. Staplers are flying around or whatever. I mean, is it just me or I, I imagine LeBron would probably say I don't want that either. I mean, unless it's being done because they're like under 500, 15 games in, 20 games in, then the writing's on their wall and you have to change something and, and shake something up. But I don't think that, like, I, it, it hits at a player's ego. And it's it's also, like, I don't think the Lakers would want to have to do it because it's also an admission that, like, damn, this didn't work. This isn't working the way we thought it would, which that's where I generally trust executives to know that more when we can all see that from the outside in. I don't expect players to know it. Like, this deal doesn't happen, didn't happen without LeBron signing off on it, saying he wants this or that he wants to play with Russ or can play with Russ. Players make horrible GMs most of the time. They do. They, they have people that they're friends with. They have people that they know to be stars statistically that they struggle to play against, that you, know, that, that you struggle to stop, and I get that. Russ has been very hard to stop for the majority of his career. Even last year when I, I was very tough on him, Wrote a story about him, talked about him on your podcast, same one where I wrote wrote about Blake Griffin and kind of how like younger guys are struggling to you know to age in the NBA, uh, and then Russ made me look silly the whole second half of the season. So I'll readily admit that that he has moments where he looks horrible, he has moments where he looks great. Silly on a team that was bad and bad when he was on the floor without Bradley Beal. Now Russ is an awesome player. I think he made he a legitimate All NBA case last year. I didn't vote for him, but he, he's a very good player. He's just a floor raiser, not a ceiling raiser on a good team. Um, and I think this is going to be some, I, th- I said it before. It's the, mo- the two most important variables in the entire league this year. Well, I guess not including Kyrie are how, what is Russ- Russell Westbrook doing when LeBron James has the ball? And number two, how badly, if badly at all, is Jason Kidd going to screw up the Dallas Mavericks? Those are the two biggest variables. Ooh, can in we the talk about that? Uh, do we have well, permission just, to move on to that wrap, topic? Let's just wrap the Lakers first. Okay, fine. Go ahead. <laughs> if they have LeBron and AD, they're going to be really good. Period. If those guys are healthy, they're really good. No one's going to want to face them. They already showed in the first game we will lean hard into AD at center if we have to. Like DeAndre Jordan had his little Keith Bogan stints and came out of the game. Um, that's the wing depth will be better. Like there's, they're going to be awesome. Russ, no Russ, Russ fits Russ. So they're going to be awesome. But the Russ fit is the, is the difference between a third or fourth seed and, you know, got us, got some stuff to figure out and like a first or second seed and a clear favorite or co-favorite to get out of the West. Right. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Let's talk about the Mavericks who got destroyed in Atlanta last night. Uh, I I think the Hawks are going to be really good, but um, the Mavericks... uh, Looked bad, particularly on offense. They are 29th in offense after one game. Only the Raptors are worse. The Raptors' half-court offense was as bad as I worried it was going to be. 
in their opening game. It's one of the reasons I was a little lower on Toronto than most people. They'll be fine, though. Their defense is going to be hellacious. Um, what did you see from Dallas, who started Dwight Powell and Kristaps Porzingis, as, as promised, um, did take 43 threes. Like, people were reacting to that game as if Jason Kidd were running some sort of completely antiquated, anti-modern offense. They took 43 threes. 43 of their 93 shots were threes. So don't come at me with, like, they didn't take any threes. Now, they did take a lot of long twos, but they took a lot of threes. What did you see? Yeah, I... I, I get really annoyed. It, it shouldn't factor into what I think of the team uh, or what I will think of their performance this season. I get really annoyed, and I've seen Jason do this before uh, when he first took over the Bucks. You know, talking about, oh, this is going to be different. This is going to be different. Granted, with the Bucks, he did fundamentally change some stuff where Giannis had the ball in his hands a lot more, so he deserves credit for that as a coach. But I get annoyed when people say, this guy's going to new and improve it. You get people that feel like used car salesmen, which, you know, he, he, he basically says, you know, we're going back basically to the unicorn days with, with Chris Dabbs. And then he comes out, and for all the things you're saying about, the, you know, the shots that Dallas took, and Chris Dabbs has never been afraid of taking threes. The shot selection from Chris Dabbs, though, like, I just don't know that it's going to be there. Like, I, and this was game one, so all you can really do is overreact when you really feel strongly about something in game one. But the shots that he was taking and the shots that he was getting – you and I really disagreed on your last podcast. It was I, I told you, I think it was the most we maybe have ever disagreed with each other. Um, and one of the first teams we really disagreed about was Dallas, where uh, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that you yeah, said... Yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling good about the nature of our disagreement after one game, Chris Herring. Well, I will say this. I, I effed that up, too, because I, 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 was, I, I said Dallas, but I also said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm quite as high on Atlanta. And I gave some reasons, which... I think they're legitimate reasons to maybe feel that way, but also Atlanta looked fantastic. So I was wrong on that. If Even if I'm right on Dallas, I was wrong on that. But for Dallas, I, I just think adding Bullock is fine. You know, he's a nice player. Most teams would like to have a guy like that. I just think it's so clear every time you watch Dallas play in a game against a good team that they really, really, really could use somebody else that can create off the bounce. Jalen Brunson's very nice. Jalen Brunson, you know, is one of the best backups in the league. He's great. But... And they play the two of them together, which is great. But I just think you have you need another guy that has size that can kind of get into the paint. Hardaway sometimes feels like he can or should be that, but I don't yeah, think he, he threatens. He flirts with that status. Like you catch them on he the does. right night, and you're like, oh, whoa, Tim Hardaway's feeling a little frisky tonight. I know, and it, and it, it, and I think it's not consistent enough. I mean, he he's a consistent enough scorer, but he he's kind of. Like his high points are what I think we'd like to see that the jump we'd like to see somebody like Porter make. We were talking about Porter and the idea that like he normally doesn't create a whole lot for other people. You need somebody that a little bit more than that. And they've had DeLon Wright, so they've had guys that flirt with that a little bit. But you need somebody that can both score, but all and and quite frankly, if we're gonna keep it a buck, Chris Stops is one of the things that kind of stops that from happening. Just with how much money passer. he takes, he's up. always been a terrible passer. He can't, and he's he never can't been dribble. a good passer. And he's like he's uncomfortable. He's so big and so tall. And this is what I tweeted last night during the game. He makes just enough of those difficult mid-range shots where he, you know he had one nice one that he made yesterday where he kind of had like a half turnaround and you know flung it in from 18 feet. Somebody was right there nipping at his heels at his shoulders. Um, he makes enough of those tough contested jumpers from mid-range to where. It feels like a good shot for him, so he takes more of them, but they're not really efficient for him. Uh, and, and, and he's uncomfortable when guys get into his body, shorter guys get into his body. That happens a lot. So I think he looks for those matchups, but he's not really efficient with them. He doesn't put the, floor, the, the ball on the floor and go to the basket. I think during the game even they flashed a statistic on the screen about how far down his free throws are from a couple years that, ago. That's some the of thing that's changed. Early in his career when it was Porzingis mania in New York, it, he looked like a guy who might be able to do a little damage off the dribble you know, outside in. Despite It's hard for tall guys to do that because little sure. guys come and take the ball from them. But he looked like he would have enough of that in his game, and it just hasn't. It, it hasn't manifested. Like to me, the Dallas thing is like when they when they have one dive guy and four shooters, and you want to say that's what they have with Powell and Porzingis. It just sometimes doesn't quite it doesn't quite materialize that way. When they have one dive guy, three shooters, and Luca, it's just so simple. Like it's just it. They get a good shot every single time, and I, the more they complicate that, the more I worry about them. I will say I like the I like the Kleba Porzingis. 
pairing uh, more than the Powell Porzingis pairing. Although I will say Kleba, I think Kleba's lost a little bit of a, like a quarter of a step or a half step defensively. He was getting roasted last night by guys who shouldn't just be able to roast him like that. Hmm. So that worried me. I, you know, one game, one game. Yeah, I'll try to I, loosen I, up on them a little bit, but they just looked bad. And, and look, I mean, it I'll, was Atlanta looking great too. You know, I'll give Dorian Finney-Smith one post up on Trey Young to try to hurt Trey Young. One. The first one that ends with like a fling over his shoulder that hits the side of the backboard, I'm out. We're gonna we're gonna have you set screens for Luca instead of posting up Trey Young because that's what I, like and I don't want four more of those. Um, let's talk about the Hawks real quickly. I was super high on the Hawks. Uh, I, they were my pick to finish third in the East in the regular season. Uh, nothing I saw dissuaded me from that. They didn't have Gallo. They didn't have Lou Williams, um, and they just looked awesome. Um, uh, DeAndre Hunter, it, DeAndre Hunter, that defense on. Luka, I didn't man. put him in my five most intriguing players column because I thought it was he was too obvious. Yeah, he's he, it's the the defense is just like he he could be an All NBA level defender this season. Oh, yeah. The offense, he's just easing into these long twos off the dribble. It looks so smooth. He's creating a little bit more. Reddish is is uh, is is ready for more minutes. Herders, they're just absolutely loaded. I'll tell you who I love, and I I I've, I have a soft spot for him. I just love the way John Collins has just gotten so good at scoring in so many different ways that he's able to get. He's just able to fill every little gap, and he might not be the primary focal point of the offense when Clint Capella is at center. Now, when he's at center, he becomes the lob catcher, screen and dive sure. guy. But, oh, he just made a spot-up three. Oh, he just took someone off the dribble and dumped a pass to Capella for a dunk. Oh, he just slipped a screen and lobbed to Capella for a dunk. Oh, he just posted up a switch and looked pretty good doing it. He just fills gaps, fills gaps, fills gaps, fills gaps, fills gaps. And you look up, he's got 22 and 10. You're like, oh, my God, that's all-star level numbers. I just love the way he's accepted what he is on this team and gotten versatile enough to excel at it. Yeah, and it's it's a huge key. I also thought it was really big to not I don't know if it maybe became more obvious to you that he wasn't going to get it but you know the Hawks owner came out and was like you know let's just be really honest we're probably not going to be able to keep all these guys together which is really candid for an owner to say and he said it days after they got knocked out of the playoffs um I thought it was really big for them to get him back at less than a max number because he is that team is so much of a team that it gets really difficult to pay Anybody other than Trey, I would think a max deal, especially when you've got guys coming, you know, coming a- along the way with Hunter. You're going to have to, you know, at some point they just paid Herter, but you're going to have Reddish. Um, you know, you've got some other guys that are young that look like they're coming along really well and that will come along really well potentially. So I think that part of it was big. Collins just contributes in any way he can. He's way more versatile than I gave him credit for even a year ago. And some of it stood out during the playoffs. He's a physical presence for them um, and and really leans into that sometimes when he's really not scoring as much or when he's maybe not involved in one way, he is in another. Um but all of a sudden, and I used to think of the Hawks as having a lot of holes defensively. That was probably just because of the guys they were missing for big chunks of last season. But it's a pretty complete team. And, I mean, I think they really started to show it for the first time. Obviously, the end of last season. But then, in that Knicks series, it was just they kept coming and coming and coming. And they had so many more answers than the Knicks ever did in that series. And, obviously, almost propelled them all the way to the finals. <laughs> sure. Uh, let's transition from that into your MVP beat. pick. Uh, would you care to divulge for listeners who you picked to win MVP this season? Joel Embiid. How are you feeling about that after one game? By the way, but the yeah, Sixers opened there. the season. We're getting there. Destroyed the Pelicans. It's like it's DEFCON 2 right now in New Orleans already. They're 0-1. They got destroyed by a team that is dealing with – they're not – I, I, they're just dealing with being the Sixers. It's just from a Twitter burner to a 13-page resignation letter to a guy who forgot how to shoot to a guy who has back issues or now he's not mentally ready to play, ghosted his teammate. It's just one thing after another. With this. this is just life as the Sixers. But they come into New Orleans. They blow them out by 20. We don't know when Zion's coming back. It just it feels like DEFCON 1 already. But how are you feeling about your Embiid MVP pick after one game? 
No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm okay with it. Uh, I'm not going to back away from it. And if I was, it wouldn't have anything to do with Embiid. I think it's more, that to me is more inherently a question of like, how good do you think the Sixers can be without Simmons? And to what degree does not having Simmons free Embiid up? Or, you know, some people may feel like it makes life harder for him just because Simmons is a great passer. Um, what all more can Embiid do now that Simmons isn't there? The extra shots that maybe he gets... Probably not in the fourth quarter because Simmons doesn't take many then. But, you know, Embiid, I, I just think the narrative around the Sixers is chaos. And so if the Sixers are able to hang in, they're not going to repeat as a one seed, I don't think, this year. But I have been kind of amazed at how, without knowing how this is resolved, the idea that um, the, the idea that they're not playing on Christmas kind of stunned me. They have a, a legitimate star. They're in one of the biggest markets in the league. They were a one seed last year. See, that theoretically was to, bringing I back think everybody. They don't, they don't have enough holiday spirit to play on Christmas. You can't have a teammate who tells his team, "Don't come fly to visit me in LA. I don't want to see you." Can't. That's there's no Santa with <laughs> Santa would holiday frown upon spirit. that spirit, and so you can't play on Christmas. That I will give you credit. That's the first time I've heard that rationale for why they're not playing on Christmas. Uh, I mean, I, I I just think that it's chaotic, but if they manage to I, – I wrote a, a story on the Bulls, a, a long-form story uh, on the Bulls We're going to talk day. about the Bulls because I read that story. The Bulls in the city of Chicago and what they mean to the city, et cetera. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate that. Um, but I, I, within that story, I had a quote from Zach Levine where he was talking about how he's basically never had the same coach you know, from one season to the next, really. That's basically what he was saying. And he was saying, I've managed to thrive throughout chaos my whole career. And I guess – and thinking about that quote, Embiid has a chance to do that this season. Uh, Embiid can be chaotic himself sometimes with some of the stuff he says and um, what have you. But if he's able to thrive this year and keep the Sixers in the top half of that playoff conversation, top four seed, uh, which they have enough talent to theoretically do that. They, you know, they have enough cohesion to theoretically do that. Um, and maybe not having Simmons there helps. Now that's, you know, if they could trade Simmons and get something for him, it'd be even nicer. Um, you know, so that they would have a little bit more talent and help keep them at the top of that conversation. But no, Embiid had enough talent to win MVP last year. He just wasn't healthy enough. I feel like they're going to have to lean on him more. Part of me wonders, even with the what was it that he had last year? Was it an Achilles thing that he had last year? I can't that he was he was able to play through it in the playoffs. Like part of me feels like to some extent he might. Yes, just I think you're right. Be, actually, now that you say that, yeah, yeah. Part of me feels like he's adjusting and kind of managing his body in a way where he knows his limits a little bit more and he plays through what he can play through and doesn't what he can't. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I think if they can manage him the right way and they win just enough, I think he'll get attention. And if he plays just enough, he'll get enough attention, positive attention to potentially win the MVP. Like to me, he's one of the only people left that hasn't won it. That seems like he's on a good enough team to do it. I don't buy Luca and the Mavs this year. Like I buy Luca. I just don't buy the Mavs being good enough to potentially keep him in the race for that award. Yeah, history suggests you need to win a, a baseline level of games, obviously. So the, the eight kind of if they're, they're, uh, to me, there's a group of eight guys who are your favorites to be in the top five. Okay. Embiid, Luca, who you just crossed off, Giannis, who would probably be my pick, but I am wary of the Bucks sort of sort of decelerating his games played or whatever, but that could happen. Do all these guys can end up playing like seventy games and it's just a wash? That's gonna start becoming a normal thing anyway. Yeah. yeah. Durant. Harden, Jokic, LeBron, and Steph, um, and, and then I think, and then and then you get into the like I don't think the Blazers will win enough for Lillard to to be in the he might be in the conversation for a ballot spot, but not to win. I don't think the Celtics will win enough for Tatum or the Wizards will win enough for Beal. Then that leaves you with some interesting candidates. I think do you want to hear my two sneaky MVP candidates? Yeah, let's hear them. If the Hawks are good. Like, really good. There's going to be Trey Young deserves to be in the conversation of Buzz. Now, I don't think Trey Young is on the level of those first eight guys, so I don't think yeah. he really has a chance to win. But if the Hawks are, like, 25-6 and six and sniffing a top-two seed in the East and Trey Young's averaging 30-11, and 11, there's going to be Trey Young MVP it. buzz. Yeah, he would, de he would deserve it. I mean, quite frankly. Now, it, it is interesting, and it, it, it's interesting on a couple levels. Um you said we'll talk about it, so I won't get into it too much, but with the story I wrote uh, about the Bulls, the framing that we used was kind of like the Suns made it to the finals, the Hawks almost made it to the finals, and they did that just by adding a piece or two in their offseason. It was basically the same core they had. So why can't the Bulls do that? Um, and 
within thinking about that, a lot of the Bulls fans that did not probably read the story, which I think was complimentary and even-handed, um, were saying basically, oh, well, you know, you guys are saying that Levine's not a superstar. And it's like, well, yeah, the Bulls have had the worst record in the league for the last couple of years. But the interesting thing is that I think you have to make a jump as a team. Your team has to make that sort of jump to see people in a certain light. If they are a superstar and people just aren't recognizing it, maybe it's because the team isn't winning. Trey was dealing with a lot of that. Trey didn't make the all-star team last year. So the idea of someone not making an all-star team one year and then winning the MVP the next, I don't know if it's unprecedented, but it's it certainly would be rare. Uh, but it theoretically could happen, certainly if they make that sort of jump. And the cohesion, the amount of cohesion that Atlanta has, the fact that they have a full year with Nate McMillan at the bench as opposed to you know having a midseason switch, it, it's a perfectly good pick. I think it's actually a fun pick and a sexy pick to make especially with how they looked yesterday. I mean, the Hawks have a potential to be really, really good this year. Levine is on my I don't think they're going to win enough games list to be a candidate. Sure. Um, and that, I, I had the Bulls in like the 6-7 range, or I would say 5-8, to eight, but most likely 6-7-8 range. Okay. I thought they just looked kind of meh in their opener against the Pistons, and you could especially see— Especially since Cade wasn't playing in that game either, you know? You, yeah, you can see— um, the depth issues, and you could see more more than that. That the off, the, it's going to take time for the four main offensive players to find their sort of pace and space, and who stands where, and who. How do we split the offense up? And you could see them leaning into the Levine Vucevic empty side pick and roll on the left side, which is a like Fournier and Vucevic ran that nine million times. And the shooting around that is only so-so with Demar and Lonzo and whoever is the the fourth the, the fifth guy. It's nice to see Pat Williams back. I like Pat a lot. Very nice to see him. He's that um, guy. Yeah. But but I will say this: I I do think they're going to be a top ten offense. I think they'll figure that out defensively. I, it was the Pistons, so whatever. Um, but they're clearly going to compete. Uh, and I think actually it's kind of a it's only one game. I actually think it's refreshing for the Bulls to win a game like that. I think they would have lost that game last year. And it's refreshing that they kind of dug in and found a way to win it. So we'll see how they are. I, th- I think they're going to be fine. My it, other- it'll be interesting. You watch that game. Like I said, Cade Cunningham was not playing, uh, which you know we'll have to see how he does as a rookie. But that's something that you figure helps the Pistons, maybe you know hurts the Bulls a little bit if he's playing in that game. And they're just a little bit more under control. They were struggling to get shots at the end of the game against the Bulls defense that Again, we're not really sure how good they're going to be this year, and so maybe Cade would have gotten them into better stuff. So the Bulls were fortunate from that standpoint. Yeah, I'm already, but, I'm already like, it's a little early, but I'm already like, uh, is Killian Hayes going to do some, going to do some stuff? Like, can we see something from Killian Hayes? It's too, yeah, it's too it early. Rough, but I was watching that game. I was like, is uh, can we rough rookie season because you're you're, you're sitting there watching uh, Jeremy Grant trying to do everything by himself, and it's just kind of like. I mean, they they were sometimes not even hitting the rim and not really even getting really a shot. And I get that, you know, you're going to put the ball in the hands of your best scorer there, the guy that you trust the most. But I feel like they're just kind of bypassing Killian Hayes completely in that. So that's where you're looking forward to Cade Cunningham stepping in and maybe Killian can play next to him and maybe develop some confidence that way. But it was interesting, and I do agree with you on some of the stuff about the Bulls. I'm high on them, higher on them than most people. But you did see Levine just kind of take over at one point in that game, which is interesting because he's had to do that in the past. And you kind of feel like when people's backs are against the wall, they're going to go with what they're most comfortable with. And I think I even had a stat in the story I wrote where last year, before Vucevic entered the picture for Chicago, Levine had the highest usage rate in the league in fourth quarters, which has been – he's been effective as a scorer, but his turnover to assist ratio, assist to turnover ratio is backwards and upside down over each of the last three years just because teams know he's going to be the guy to take the shot. So you hope that that loosens up their clutch offense. And they did do okay in the clutch. They weren't great in that game. But they did have a quarter where Zach just kind of took over and I think had 15 or 18 in like, what was it, the third? Um, And so it will be interesting to see how, you know, if they struggle and when they struggle, if someone just puts their foot on the pedal and says, okay, fine, I'll do this, instead of trying to figure it out. You see that happen a lot. I remember with Oklahoma City with Russ and Paul George and Carmelo, the same sort of thing happens where everyone's trying to be too polite and they're trying to just play nice. But at a certain point, someone just kind of needs to step on the opponent's throat. It's time to stop getting polite and start getting real in Chicago is what you're saying, Chris. (laughs) Um, Now, I do know that reference. I might not know American Gladiators, but I'll give you that one. I like that. American Gladiators is way better than the real world. Um, Never. uh, Never. uh, Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Way better. 
Um, my other sneaky MVP candidate, he probably won't play enough games, but Jimmy Butler was my other one. Um, huh. and, and then it's interesting that rap, just let's do a couple of rapid fire things. It's interesting. We don't talk about Mitchell and Booker in this conversation. It's I think, very I think, interesting. Yeah. I think Mitchell is, is primed to bust into that conversation. If the jazz have an awesome year, almost more so than Booker. And I love Devin Booker. I, I it's interesting that they don't come up. Um, you know why I, I think they don't come up. I, I think, cause I was thinking about this too, as I was mentioning Levine and, and Trey and those guys, uh, I think with with you have an inherent debate there with some of the folks that are kind of lean more on analytics and the people that the eye test and everything. I test people always tell you Donovan Mitchell is the the engine that makes that team go. Analytics people will be more nuanced about it and they'll say, well, what about Gobert, a guy that constantly is the best defensive player in the league that has a lot of offensive utility and value as well. So the idea of who's more responsible for winning. I think you have a similar conversation that comes up with people for the Suns when it relates to Booker and Chris Paul. So I, I think that's what it is. Like I, I don't, you know, I, I think that those guys share credit for it in a way that makes the MVP conversation more even-handed than it normally would be if it were just Levine last year or if it were just Trey Young this year or last year, where it's people have a an issue trying to figure out who's most responsible for winning. And I kind of feel like it makes it more difficult to kind of propel them in the MVP conversation as a whole. Rapid fire observations and you rapid fire back at me. Okay. Portland. Uh Oh, defense was bad again. Didn't get why they were blitzing De'Aaron Fox and conceding a whole crap ton of open corner threes. Like De'Aaron Fox, if you're going to blitz, blitz Steph Curry, blitz Damian Lillard, who's on your team. Don't blitz. De'Aaron Fox is an okay shooter. Didn't get it. Um, I'll be watching their next couple of games very carefully to see if, if they can sort of find an equilibrium on defense, which was obviously abysmal last season. Rapid-fire response. Okay. Um, I liked uh, I liked the way LaMelo looked. Good Lord. Uh, I mean, that guy – we, we got kind of robbed of being able to see him healthy at the end of last year, really, you know, for the majority of the end of last year. But I know he's not going to shoot seven of nine from three every night. Uh, doesn't have to just with the way he distributes the ball, the way he pushes the ball. Um, if he makes a leap from what he already was showing last year, it'll be interesting. It'll also be interesting to see kind of who gets end of game responsibilities between him and Hayward. I think it would be interesting to watch as well. But I don't know. Charlotte is a team that I think a lot of people have kind of slept on a little bit that were competitive last year, could have made the playoffs last year had they been healthier. I was um, unreasonably high on the Hornets, so I was happy they came back and won. By the way, another rapid-fire takeaway from that game, Chris Duarte. That Woo! was another one I had on my list. Where did that come from? Woo! Wow. Uh, <laughs> I think rapid, I could shoot. Another rapid-fire rookie takeaway, I'm unreasonably excited about Evan Mobley. He, he, he moves a little weird. He's skinny. He's fallen over, and, but I, I'm very excited about Evan Mobley. Um, Spurs. Switched the second most ball screens in the entire NBA in their first game. I like this team defensively. I was low on them. I'm still low on them, but I think defensively they're going to be fun. And let's Evan Vassell with, had a really nice game. Really I'm, nice. Game. I think I think he might be their best long term prospect. I said that he's in my column I wrote about the Spurs. Like he, he's he, he has a chance to be really good. And um, my Warriors last rapid fire. My Warriors optimism. I feel good. I feel good about it after after two games. It's only two games. But I, I just I, – they were here in L.A. I hung out with some of their people. They have a good feeling about this group. And, again, two close wins over the L.A. teams. It's not great shakes, but I, I just like the way they're playing. I feel like they have everybody in their rotation understands their style of play, and there's value in playing a way that is different from a lot of NBA teams. And Steph is just different. I, 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 they, look, they look really fun. They do. They do. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from them. I, the nature of the, the wins was really – certainly last night was really, really fun. Um, I think we still have to see exactly what the Lakers are and how much to take from that one. And the fact that, like you said, the Lakers were down some guys and stuff like that. So were the Warriors, obviously. Um, my my rapid-fire takeaway, uh, which I think it's easy to forget about just because it was a couple nights ago at this point – was uh, Jalen Brown coming off COVID and going off for 46. Woo! And, like, that was insane. And that game was insane just as far as it's, – it's one of the most uneven games I've seen where the Knicks jumped out to a nice little lead and then the, the Celtics take the lead. And then in the first overtime, I think 
There were 24 points scored in the first two minutes of it, and then there were no points scored at all in the last three minutes of it because they were just exhausted, and they looked exhausted, and the Knicks just made some some really boneheaded mistakes defensively to even send it to overtime in the first place. But what a fun game. And, um, you know, Jalen Brown will not play that way. Jason Tatum will not shoot nearly as poorly as he did. It was one of the worst performances I've seen from him in, in years. But, um, you know, you, you obviously hope it would be really easy – to take for granted that Jalen Brown just did that. But, you know, keep in mind, uh, Tatum had COVID last year and out of nowhere had to start using an inhaler to make it through games. So um, how fortunate, you know, we are that Jalen Brown wasn't more seriously impacted by it, but also that he can come out and give that performance uh, right after, you know, a layoff from not being able to play. That was early game of the year. All right, Chris Heron, we got like – 1,200 more of these bad boys to talk about. Uh, so I, I will <laughs> talk to you again soon. Uh, read Chris at SI.com. Buy his book. Mr. Herring, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me, Zach. Appreciate you always. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.